Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. The book of 1 Thessalonians was written to a people, and this is probably the first New Testament book that was written. It's believed it was written about 51 A.D., about the time that Paul uh, was writing to a, a number of churches there, and that was written to give them their hope back again. They had uh, learned a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. They had uh, talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd spread the gospel all over the place. All kinds of people were um, coming to know Jesus Christ. They were leaving idolatry and coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were looking forward for a kingdom to come, but some persecution had broken out against them. And with that persecution, it was easy enough to feel like, then the last days must be on us. What's happening here? Why are we getting all this persecution? This is a good story. We're telling some good news. What's everybody upset about? This shouldn't upset anybody. This should be great. We're about to be redeemed. God's not going to judge us. Uh, The judgment's been taken by someone else. Hallelujah, this is good news. But instead, it had broken into the culture. It was affecting the economy. It was affecting the way life was going, and people were resisting that. Now the Christians were receiving a whole lot of resistance. Well, wait a minute, they started asking. Is this the resistance that we were told is going to come in those last days? Is this that which is about to happen? And so are we now in the tribulation? Is that what this is? And a lot of confusion was coming up. So Paul wrote this letter to clear up the confusion. It is not unusual for God's people to live in confusing times. Uh, You've not been chosen as a special elect group to live in a confusing time like this one. You've been chosen. And you happen to be alive in a time like this. But it's not that there's something special about you that he's allowed. This has gone on for centuries. Everybody follow where I'm at? This has gone on before. And what I wanted to do this morning was to help you see why what he wrote to them that we just read is so relevant to us today. This is just like it's written for us today. First of all, I want to share with you, let's assess what our conditions are. And then from those, that assessment, let's figure out how to make an application of 1 Thessalonians 5, all right? So assessing our condition. Here, let's get this. I call this one, don't be scared, be prepared. Now, I'd like to tell you that's original with me. It is not. It comes from a guy named Ryan Hall. I'm sure that somebody else did it before him. Ryan Hall is a weatherman. And what he does he follows weather patterns all across. You'd probably like him, Barb. He's, he's, he follows that. You and Johnny would probably like him real well. He follows weather patterns all across America all the time. So he's doing a week in advance showing where, where the weather patterns are going to go. And he does it, he says, because I don't want you to be scared. I want you to be prepared. If you know what's coming, you can know what's going to happen. Kids, we have been told what's coming. If I I can say this, not, not to be disrespectful at all, God is like the great big Ryan Hall. He's telling us, here are the patterns that are taking place, and they're sweeping across you right now. And I want you to be prepared, not scared. Well, let's take a look and see uh, what some of the things are that are happening with us. First of all, 
Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Peter Zion, I think his name is, Zion, Zion, something like that. Anybody know who I'm talking about when I say that? Good. All right, I'm by myself again. All right, that's, that's great. He is a person who studies demographics. Demographics are how a population works. It determines uh, all kinds of things for that population. Like it, it's, it, uh, you, you can watch the population and see how they do. When people get into large cities, they stop having children. And as you stop having children, that's going to affect the economy. You follow me? It's going to affect the economy. Why? Right now, there's a whole bunch of boomers like me. A whole bunch of us. So we're all out here living off Social Security, enjoying our retirement, living off and hoping like crazy that all of you stay employed so I can keep on having a good life. You follow what I'm saying? Now, the problem is there have to be enough of you employed for that to be a reality. If after we've decided that killing our children is a better plan, and after we've decided that having children is a bad goal, then you start having a demographic that gets down to this where now I have less children who are in a productive state, who are in a reproductive state, that they're having more children and that they're having good jobs so that they can pay into the economy that keeps me sponsored. Follow that? Some countries are a chimney. Matter of fact, America is in a chimney shape right now. It's not a pyramid. It's not an inverted pyramid like, well, you have... Two big countries that decided having children was not a good idea. China and Russia. Two countries that we worry a lot about all the time. They occupy a lot of our conversation. But the demographics of that should cause us a little less concern because both countries have determined not to have a lot of children. What does that mean? That means that after 20 years of not having enough children, it's time to go to war, and you don't have anybody to go to war with. You don't have those 18 to 20-year-olds that you can say, go, go fight that machine gun, and, and they, they'll go do it. They're not there. They're not there to be. That's why Russia has to move quickly right now and get everything done they can right now because their demographics are. They don't have anything to back it up. They have to be able to go through Ukraine and get a whole corridor set up so they can protect themselves from invasion from the West. They have to get through it. They can't occupy Ukraine. They don't have enough people to do that. They have enough people to take it, but not enough people to do it. The demographics in this country are changing. And urbanization, people gathering together in large cities and staying in those large cities, are creating a problem for the economy and a problem for a variety of other things. So you're living in a demographic situation that's going to create problems in days to come. Everybody with me? All right, let's go to the next one. Propaganda, marketing, myths, and disinformation. You are living in a world that majors in propagandizing. They believe in telling you a story they want you to believe, and then we're hoping that you will believe, and if you don't, in a totalitarian situation, you have to. You'll be imprisoned or enslaved or denied certain privileges. Those are things that go on with us all the time. Marketing. Marketing grabs you all the time. If you have social media at all, 
Marketing is all over social media. They look at the things you're interested in, and they keep showing you those algorithms or those, those advertisements. They keep showing those to you all the time so that you'll buy the products that you're interested in. But you don't have to be on social media for that to happen. Every day you're going to receive in the mail some great offer for the greatest thing that you just can't live without. Now, used to, when I was a kid, it was the J.C. Penny catalog that we wanted. Oh, my goodness, if the Sears catalog and J.C. Penny catalog could come out, we were just, we couldn't wait. It's, it's, it's Thanksgiving. Where's the catalog? So that we could scour the pages and then carefully circle the things that we wanted mom and dad to be interested in. And after a while, when you've got about 13 pages that are circled, uh, they're not interested anymore, okay? That's changed. Marketing is now even more intense than it was before. And misinformation and disinformation abound. So much so, we don't know what to believe is true. We feel like we're being manipulated all the time by somebody, either somebody's market, somebody's propaganda. There was a time when you actually could believe what both political parties were saying and think that you had at least a little handle on truth. You can't believe either party right now. I'm sorry if, you, if whichever party you belong to and that offended you, just get over it because that's the truth. People are not telling you the truth. There's a propaganda going on for a, a, a power struggle they want. Letter C. There's a loss of the sense and facts of history, and in America, a loss of identity. Who is an American? How far back do we go? How, what's our heritage? Europeans look back, and they can look back a long way at what they're European. They, they got all kinds of genealogies. When an American does a genealogy, they can go back to Europe. Uh, we figure out there what we are, but mostly we're kind of, is this a bad word to use, mongrel? We're a mix of everybody. And we don't really, you know, so now we, we try desperately. Please look at my genetics and see if I look okay. What part am I? Oh, oh look, I'm 1% Irish. Oh, Irish, I'm green, I'm Irish. Yes, sir. 1%? Really? Is that enough? And, and now you, you look desperately to make sure that you've got some Native American in you because that's, that's a high one right now. So you, who are we? So there's some loss of identity for us. And what's true and what's not true in history? What's true about 1492 or 1491? What's true about 1493? What's true about 1519? What's true about 1776? We have difficulties knowing what's true anymore because somebody's not telling us the whole story. And may I say to you, when you think you know what the story is and someone shares with you yet another side that that might not be it, now you lose your security in what you thought history was. And in doing so, you lose some of your identity. You lose some of the things that you hoped were going. With that came a loss of meaning and identity. I'm not sure who I am anymore. You say, that, that couldn't be going on. Believe me, it is going on all the time. Loss of meaning. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here. Loss of identity. I don't know what gender I am. I'm not sure what gender I am. Depends on how much has been pounded on me about this, about that, about this, about that, and my identity is getting all mixed up. I'm not sure who I am anymore. 
And don't tell me that's not the way it is. You and I both know that's the way it is. This is a big, major problem, kids. All right. Then there's misplaced or unknown values. From losing my identity, from losing who I am and losing what meaning is, I can soon uh, come up with misplaced values. I, I can't tell right from wrong anymore. Matter of fact, it's difficult at times when you talk with people, what do you think? Is this right or is this wrong? Well, that depends. And, and then from that depends, you, you just lose all kinds of insight. You don't know whether it's right or it's wrong anymore. In addition, we have the gender confusion about knowing what's right and what's wrong about the genders itself. Then from that comes such things as virtual friendships instead of personal ones. Virtual friendships. I know a lot of people on... Uh, how, how many friends do you have on, on uh, the Internet? Well, I, I just... Uh, you, don't, you don't have any friends? Zero. Not on the You've lost your identity, brother. <laughs> how do I know who you are? Yeah. My, my point is this. Uh, I think that uh, some, some, of, some of my uh, things show that I have like, 1,000, 1,100 friends. I don't have 1,100 friends. What, am, what is that about? I, and I sure don't hear from 1,100 friends. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, there wouldn't be time in a day if you're going to hear from 1,100 friends. You understand what I'm saying? And because of that, now there are people that actually weigh out how valuable they are by looking at the number of likes on their, their post. They post something and look to see how many liked it. Okay, uh, six. Ooh. Okay, delete that one. Okay, you can see how many liked it and who was it. Listen, if you're being liked by some foreigner in a different country, that, that's not necessarily a like. You understand what I'm saying? They don't know you. Virtual friendships instead of real, personal ones. And that has led us to a devalued life. This devalued life started years ago, kids. This, uh, everything that we're living through, Planned Parenthood, uh, abortion, all of that, that's, that was years ago. And I'm talking the 1880s. That's when that really has a popular growth to it. In the popular growth... There were people already saying, there are too many people in the world. We need to start sterilizing people. We need to start taking people out. Well, the best way for us to get rid of the uh, problem of poverty is to get rid of the poor. Let's sterilize the poor, and they won't keep having children. That, brothers and sisters, was popular in America all during the, the uh, World War I age, all during and up to the time of Hitler. Matter of fact, people didn't find something wrong with Hitler because he was trying to get rid of people. It was when he didn't become popular with a whole lot of people for taking over countries that were not his. Hitler's uh, uh, desire to get rid of people groups was held in high esteem. And it still was. It still is in this country. There are many elitists who still believe we have too many people in the world, and the world would be more popular, would be better place to be if we had it down to 500 million or less. That's a reality, kids. That's happening with elitist people this day. And that's the world you're living in. These are the conditions you're living in. Going on further, there's the healthcare horrors. By healthcare horrors, I mean this. The cost of healthcare is unbelievable. 
It is extreme, and there are people who don't have insurance who are under the burden of all that. I've I've talked to a number of elderly people who, if it wasn't for Medicare, I don't know how they would get by. Because some of the problems they're having to have a bill that's $36,000, and it was more or less to remove a hangnail. I mean, kids, there are serious situations going on with health care in cost alone. But that's not the only thing. Uh, It won't be long. I think it's 2025 is the prediction right now, when one out of every two people will have type 2 diabetes. How many of you in here right now, just out of curiosity, have type 2 diabetes? You know you have type 2 diabetes. Or you're pre-diabetic. How many of you know you're pre-diabetic? All right, good, good, good. Treatment for that? Metformin. If, you, if that doesn't respond to it, then it's on to insulin. We are treating a lot of things with drugs, kids, that's costing us a whole lot. We're a drugged-out culture. And because we're a drugged-out culture, that, that leads us to yet another problem, obesity. Obesity is eating our uh, lunches <laughs> and dinners and, and breakfast, too, and snacks in between. Obesity is a problem. And you're living in that world. It's costing us in health care immensely. Because we're overweight, type 2 diabetes is going to be there. Type 2 diabetes, what does it do? It sugars up the inside of your vessels. The insulin won't respond anymore. The, the, it's become insulin resistant. The cells can't get the energy from it, so they're deriving their energy from something else. And the sugar that should have been going through there is now catching up against the walls of your arteries and is being like a, um, well, if you ever overheated sugar and it got that hard coat to it, that's what's going on in your arteries. And it's plugging up valves, it's plugging up arteries, and obviously if the artery is getting sugared up like that, then it's reduced the diameter of it. The heart then, to get the same volume of blood that it was getting to the cells before, has to create a better and higher pressure. So from sugared up cells, you're getting high blood pressure. From high blood pressure then, you start adding on medications to take care of that one, which also have very harmful side effects. That's what I mean by healthcare horrors. And I won't even really necessarily go into uh, man-made diseases uh, or creating um, medical problems that are not. Then let's go to letter H, or I'm sorry, letter I, fake money. You and I both know if you've got any sort of study of, of money at all, the money we have has nothing to back it up. It's fiat money. It's fake money. It's only valuable because we say it's valuable. It has no value of its own. That's fake money. And then when you put that in the hands of the Federal Reserve, who keep making more and more of that fake money, the Federal Reserve is what's creating inflation. They're inflating the prices on everything, and you're living at their mercy. They are creating the financial conditions that you're in. It's the Federal Reserve doing that. The Federal Reserve is not a governmental agency. It is a banking cartel of foreign bankers that are publishing money, and I guess I'll counterfeiting money for us all the time. And that counterfeit money that's going out has value because they say it has value. There's too much of it in our world, and that's why your wages can't keep up with the cost of your groceries. That's why it's going on. That's fake control. Everybody follow where I'm at? That's fake control. That's the world you're living in. 
That's the conditions you're living in. What does that tend to produce? Well, uh, let me go on with this one. Climate and weather changes. I was listening this morning to uh, uh, some stories about Native Americans and how they got here. And they were talking about the various climate changes that had to take place. Those climate changes had created uh, problems where ice was creating new paths. It was creating where the, the uh, sea levels were down below what they are right now, and those sea levels rose as the ice melted. That was not because of human intervention. That was our Father doing climate changes. Everybody follow where I'm at? Those are all going to happen, and that's the world you're living in. But when that's the world you're living in, now starts telling you that you're responsible for it, and we're going to make changes in the energy production because of it, you're now creating a fake problem. All right, let me go on further. That leads to energy instability. That is contrived, not actual. We are having an energy crunch. We're having an energy problem, but it's contrived and not actual. You may be concerned about whether you're going to have enough to heat your home this this winter. There are a number of people across this country who are concerned about that. Europe is especially concerned about that. There's a lot of things that you, you have to see. That energy instability is a contrived. There are supply chain problems. We all hear about that pretty regularly. There's a fertilizer that can't get to places. There's parts for repair that can't get places. There are delays in the shipping of things. You may have had some of that problem, uh, a delay in shipping of things. It's almost like Christmas is all year sometimes. Where's the parts going to be? Well, they're delayed in shipping. We can't get them from China. We can't get them from wherever else. Those are going on all the time. And we're learning to accept that as a way of life. That instability was a created thing. That's not accidental. That didn't just happen, all right? That's the world you're living in. There are military changes. Obviously, there are changes in military policy that are creating problems for people. It's a difficult time to recruit uh, people for the the army. There's also war going on, um, whether it's Ukraine and Russia, and we're all trying to figure out how how to make that one work to uh, an advantage. We'll go into more of that one. But fear has come as a result of that. We have lived through the COVID thing with a lot of fear. And we came out learning to fear just a whole lot of things. And fear has become a leading factor in the way we do things. And those fears led to partisanship. What do I mean by that? You chose one side or the other. Wear a mask, not wear a mask. Real, not real. Deadly, not deadly. And there were people choosing up sides, and you've got the same thing going on all over the place. You're afraid to state an opinion sometimes, lest it start a stinking argument that you don't want to have to deal with. Friends are being lost because of that sort of thing. And it's coming out of fears and speculations about those fears from a partisanship. That has left us with a lot of unresolved conflicts. There are people that have unresolved conflicts with their family, with their friends because of opinions they held on Facebook, because of opinions they held at the workplace about how things are operating or not operating. In addition to that, there's always been, I shouldn't say always, uh, since um, the middle of the 50s, we started in learning to hate certainty. We didn't want, we didn't believe anybody could know anything for certain. You couldn't know anything for certain. So we began to hate people who spoke about certainties. 
if we said that there is definitely this is true, then we started hating them because you can't possibly know what's true. And that hatred for certainty has led the church into a whole lot of strange waters. We're not sure whether the Bible is really the Word of God. We're not sure whether we ought to teach that. Matter of fact, those who teach the Bible as if it's the Word of God are out of date. They are irrelevant. They do not understand the fact that the Bible was history that's over and done years ago. Stop thinking that way. Just live your life, okay? And that goes on even in Christian circles. What has that done? Well, one of the things that happened was crying wolf syndrome. How many times have you heard, applied to as many different places as you want, we're like a frog in a tub? We're like a frog in a tub. The water's just slowly being heated up. That's been applied to so many things. Can I just say to you, after a while when you say that we're in that, we're a frog in the tub and then the thing that you said was going to take place didn't happen, it looked like you were crying wolf. And because you were crying wolf, how many times have we seen who the Antichrist was, when Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is going to come back this date or that date or this date or that date, how many times have we seen that in the last, let's say, 80 years that have caused us now to say, eh, I don't hear about it. I talked to a number of churches and, and pastors from time to time, and I found out that nobody really wants to touch prophecy. I shouldn't say nobody. I should say there are a number of pastors who don't want to touch prophecy at all. It's too uncertain and if you act like you're certain, now you're back to the hatred for certainty thing. If, if you think that this is what's really going to happen, I don't like you anymore because there's the hatred for certainty that's there. And what that's led to in the church is apostasy and indifference. We're not caring what doctrine is anymore because doctrine just causes arguments. It just causes all kinds of things. You're, you're not peace-loving. You're... you're an awful argumentative person if you believe that you can actually hold a position, a biblical position. And that's led to indifference and apostasy in the church. Church is actually walking away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we live in a how-to society. How to get along with your boss, how to do this, how to make a living, how to, how to make a fortune. How to, and we've got a lot of those kind of messages where we're not speaking the Word of God. That leads to apostasy and indifference. Further, we're living in an idolatrous age. You may, you may not see them all standing up every place on a corner. You may not see little pans you're supposed to offer incense in. But we're living in an idolatrous age. I think the biggest idolatrous age that we're living in, the biggest idol that we live in today, is scientism. Not science. No believer in Christ is opposed to science, as long as it's science. But scientism is a religion of its own. That's a religion where you're believing scientists, not science. You're believing whatever's been politicized or manipulated or moved around or propagandized rather than believing what science is. On the one hand, we're told to follow the science when it comes to COVID. On the other hand, we're told to follow the science, but we don't want to do it when it comes to understanding genders. Where do we get this stuff? Where is it? That's what I mean. Scientism decides politically and socially what it's going to declare as true. It is not following science. 
We want to be a people who do follow science. We do want to prove things. We do want to show how things work. But we are not wanting to be those who bow down to something that's called science when it isn't science at all. All right. We are dealing with neo-paganism where people are actually going back to the old gods of years and years ago. And all that has done, I think, is a massive conspiratorial plot on the greatest conspirator of all time, Satan himself. I, I, don't, I don't know what um, the, the rich of the world or the powerful of the world, I don't know what their plans are. I, I know this, they're mortal. And because they're mortal, they can't keep the plans that they think they're making. Because they're mortal, they'll die, and their plan will die with them. But I'll tell you someone who is immortal, and that he has been conspiring for centuries, and that is the devil himself. And he knows this. He's got to have people. In order for him to have his big guy where he's observed and witnessed and watched and worshipped, He's going to have to have people in a submissive way, have to have people in a confused way, have to have people who are now manipulated by propaganda, manipulated by health care, manipulated by money, finances, all of that. And he's been working that plan for a number of years. And we're about to see him get it all done. That's an elitist control. It's coming in forms of the Great Reset. And I don't want to say that's the final of anything. It isn't. It's just one more global plan of uh, conspiracy by the Satan himself. I can know this. It will be totalitarian. Kids, we cannot be that far from a totalitarian way of doing things. I, I think the current administration has been very helpful in getting us moved to totalitarianism. Uh, you're, you're not talking about a Congress that makes laws. You're talking about an executive branch that makes laws. Now, in all fairness to that administration, that has been going on since the days of Andrew Jackson. And it's just each year something new and different took place. Remember when President Lincoln uh, declared the Emancipation Proclamation? Kids, that was an executive order, not a law. And Congress was offended by that and came back and made an amendment to the Constitution to cover the fact that he had done something that was totally unconstitutional. That was an executive order. How many executive orders do you suppose were made by Jimmy Carter? How many executive orders do you suppose were made by Ronald Reagan? How many executive orders do you suppose got to be made by every president we've had, and now they're made regularly? Thousands of pages of regulations that are made that are executive orders that no one ever voted on. Your representative republic did not vote on that stuff. They're voting on things that sometimes you can't even grasp. They can't even grasp. It'll have 2,600 pages in it, 3,000 pages in it. They're called to vote on it the next night. You may be a speed reader, but you won't grasp all of that. You can't do it. It's not being made by your representatives. So the government you think you have isn't the government you have. It's being made by executives in a, a bureaucratic world. That's your world. And it will soon be in a totalitarian situation. Right. And then, of course, here's one that's a pet peeve to me. 
anti-Semitism, and the immigration to Israel. You say, out of all the things you talk about here, that's a biggie to you? Yes, yes. To every biblical person, that should be a biggie. Why? Because Ezekiel 36 and 37 declare that God has to bring Israel back to the land again before he's going to reinstitute the end days. Israel being back in the land, kids, is the biggest deal in prophecy. It may not be a big deal to anybody else in the world, but to believers who know what the Scriptures say, that immigration to Israel should be a big thing. 70,000 came in last year, and that's not the final number. 70,000 Jewish people from other parts of the world came into Israel. Psalm, or Ezekiel 36 and 37 ought to get you really excited. Jeremiah 31 need to get you excited because the new covenant is about to be implied, I'm sorry, employed with the children of Israel and the children of Judah. It's a big deal, kids, because it's the hallmark of the judgment of the earth coming soon. And that anti-Semitism is working to get people, get Jewish people out of countries and into Israel. So the very thing they think they're doing and accomplishing through the hatred of Jews winds up being the very thing that's going to be what inspires the, the uh, prophetic fulfillment of things. That's the world you're living in. Now, because you are biblical people and because you know that's the truth, when you start seeing those things, you start getting excited. But are we in the tribulation already, or is it still coming already? That was a question that was coming to all of those people in Thessalonica. They wanted to know, we've got people who died. Will they get to be in the kingdom? What, what happens with them? We thought the kingdom was coming. We thought it was now. What happened? Will they get to be there? So Paul has to write to them and say, look, you're not, they're, not, they're not left behind. And you're not going before them. As a matter of fact, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are going to rise and you'll be together with them and meet the Lord in the air. That's the way it's going to take place. It still has to happen. It hasn't happened yet. So he's writing to these people, don't get discouraged. Instead, what can you do? Let's go to page two. Reviewing our heritage to map our path. So we've assessed our situation. I hope I've uh, helped you grasp where we are. There's nothing new under the sun. By that we mean the conditions of our fathers' last days, that is, they thought Christ was coming, there was a new kingdom coming, there was persecution, there was tribulation, there was apostasy, there was peace and fake peace, there were Roman roads and Pax Romana. Listen, the United States has done marvelous things in this world. Since World War II, the United States has provided a safe place for people to travel all around the world. It's been our Navy that has made sure the waters are safe, that you're not pirated every place. It's been our Navy that watched the whole world, that kept the whole world uh, concerned about doing the right thing. What did that do? That opened up commerce for everybody so that you could have all kinds of commercial enterprises going back and forth across America, across the world. That was what the Romans had done. 
They had provided peaceful roads, good roads for people to travel on. They provided a peaceful situation. They didn't have to worry about thieves along the way as you're traveling on Roman roads because they were guarded by Roman army. They were protected so you could travel any place you wanted to go. Wonderful thing for the gospel. Because of that, being able to travel any place you go, you could take the gospel any place. And it was protected by Rome, just like things have been protected by the United States of America. Beautiful things have gone on. But we're living in times that are just like what our fathers lived in that required this lesson to be given. The advice Paul gave them at the time, this is written in about 51 A.D. That's 15 years before a great big battle is going to take place. In, 19, in, sorry, 19, in 66 A.D., there, the Jewish revolt was going to come to a head. The Jews had decided we've had enough of Rome. We're through with Rome. We're throwing Rome off. So they rebelled against the Roman army in several different places. They ambushed several different parts of the Roman army, the Syrian army. They uh, ambushed it, and they were winning victories. So from 66 to 73, there was a great big Jewish revolt going on. And building up to that great big Jewish revolt had been patriotism, a rebuilding of people's nationalities, a rebuilding of what people thought their country was about, what their city was about, what they were, as pe- and why they shouldn't have to be under the thumb of the Romans anymore. Everything's being governed by the Romans. We can't do what we want to do. Israel couldn't do what they wanted to do. And a patriotic movement arose in Israel that, that said, let's throw the Romans out. As that patriotic movement was building, There were Christians getting involved with that. Can you see why? If Jesus was, in fact, supposed to come and drive the Romans out, if he was supposed to get those Romans out, what if it's really our responsibility to drive the Romans out and Jesus will come back to a kingdom of his own? So many of the Christians, people like these in Thessalonica, joined up with the patriotic movements that were building up to throw, overthrow the Romans. Well, can you be a part of that? Can, can you be a part of a, a patriotic movement to overthrow a government? Can a believer be that? Some of them were getting involved with that. Now, you've got some of those in the church talking, and you've got some of the others in the church saying, no, we don't want to do that. That would be the wrong thing for us to do. And you've got some conflict going on. Paul's going to write this letter here to help with that conflict, all right? This Jewish revolt was a seven-year revolt against uh, Rome. It wound up with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. It wound up as many people thought they were already in the tribulation. You follow that? They were already in the tribulation. Why? Because there were some abominations of desolation that took place in the temple in 69. Well, those kind of things took place, and then you had the temple completely destroyed, and now you have all these signs and wonders that were going on in that that same period of time. Many people thought that was the tribulation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. As a matter of fact, there are a number of Christians today who still believe that. They're called preterists, and they believe that that seven-year war 
66 to 73, was the tribulation, and the book of Revelation is the book of history. It's a historical account of what happened during that period of time. Fair enough? That's the mindset that's going on in Thessalonica, and that's what's being written to here, confusion. So let's get this. Um, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Stop. He said, look, you already know about times and seasons. You already understand that Jesus is coming in. You've already understood what the signs are. You've already understood this is what to look for. Are there earthquakes? Are there wars? Are there rumors of wars? Are all those things going on? That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 24. So you've, you've seen those signs. So I don't have to tell you that Jesus is coming back again. I don't have to tell you these are the signs that you have to look for. I don't have to share that with you. You already know it. So the first thing we write in our outline, you know it's coming, so don't let confusion get you. Sign reading can be tricky. Would you agree with that? Yes, it can. If it's not tricky, how come we've had at least 12 failed antichrists? Somebody's reading signs about that. As a matter of fact, they're taking a guy's name and they're numbering that name. They're figuring out it's 666. I can't tell you the number of the antichrists we've already had that numbered 666. Of course, they're dead and gone, and we still... I'm sure you can figure out some form where Joe Biden or anybody else, Nancy Pelosi, you can figure out some, some way that it'll come up to 666. You follow me? Sign reading can be tricky. We need to be the kind of people who say, look, I don't want to hear about your sign reading. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to follow what the Bible says. And I'm agreeing with that, okay? So you know it's coming, so don't let confusion get you. Jesus warned us. There'll be people who say, I'm in the desert. Others say, I'm in this town. I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over there. Don't follow him, he said. You stick with what you know is true. Number two, here's what he said. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Now, I'm just going to say this. Keep a biblical head on your shoulders. Know what Jesus said about the end times. That's why it has been important for us to go through the end times, understand what the end times say. You have to know what it says, not what somebody's speculating, not what your favorite teacher is saying is going to take place. Your favorite teacher isn't inspired. Your, your favorite teacher is giving you an opinion based on what he thinks the Word of God says. That doesn't make it true. Everybody with me? So just stick with the Word of God. So keep a biblical head on your shoulders. And I can say also, do not get caught up in the propaganda and marketing of the world. Listen to what it says in verse 3 here. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And then th verse 4 says, but you. Now, what you notice, pronouns are important. Are they not? Uh, when, when you come into the Word of God, it's important that you recognize pronouns. Who is it says there's peace? It's they. It's they that say that. That's not you that says that. It's not God that says that. They say peace and safety because according to their standards, it is peace and safety. But it isn't peace and safety. That's what you're supposed to know. Don't follow the propaganda of the world that says it's going to bring peace and safety. No, it's not. We're on a destiny right now, folks. We're on a train, and that train cannot be stopped by any number of words said by any politician or social planner or any other thing. This train is going to go. 
because the engineer is the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. They know where this train is going, and they know where it's going to stop. All right? So don't get caught up in the propaganda and marketing of the world. Then keep a constant rational vigil for the signs revealed in the Word of God. Here's what it goes on to say. Um, verse 3, for they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So it shouldn't get you. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the darkness, uh, or we're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So we want to be those who are paying attention and keeping our eyes open to what the signs were that the Scriptures said were going to take place. Not what the newspaper said was going to take place. Not what the magazines say are going to take place. Not what social media says or whatever your favorite blog is says. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ says. So keep a constant rational vigil for the signs revealed in the Word of God. Then do not let the routine business lull you to sleep so you are not on guard. Now this can happen real easily. Here's all I mean by this. You've heard enough often that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And when he doesn't come back, it's easy enough to say, I don't know. When he comes, he'll come. I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. And you'll quit being on guard. How many of you yawn just because I did that yawn? I looked around. I see a number of people just did that. And I thought, that's that's hilarious. you, you can't imagine what kind of control you have, can you? <laughs> when those signs are taking place, you can be alerted to them. But when you don't think the signs are going to take place, or when you think people have been saying this for years, or when you can say, you know, I got to get all of this done. I gotta, I've got so much I got to do. Yeah, Jesus comes back. That's a part of my life too, but it's not a big deal. You will lose your guard. And it becomes a routine thing for you to lose your guard. And you'll keep doing it each day so that it doesn't become important to you anymore. You'll become like that servant who said, my master has delayed his coming, therefore I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm not going to be concerned about it. You can't afford that, kids. Just because somebody may talk about it too often or because it didn't happen within a time frame you gave it doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. It could be that you're not keeping your eyes open. For instance, how many times do you think you're going to hear in national media about the fact that the tribe of Manasseh has been found and the tribe of Manasseh is coming back? They call themselves B'nai uh, Manasseh, B'nai Manasseh, the sons of Manasseh. And they have been living on the border of India and Burma. And they are coming back to Israel. Last year, of the 6,000 of them, 4,500 of them did Aliyah and came back to Israel. Did you know that the tribe of Naphtali has been found? Did you know, for instance, is it going to be found in your New York Times? Is it going to be found on your social media? Not likely unless you have a very tiny social media gap. 
Friends, they are coming back. They have been found. They are not lost. You cool with that? Why does that become important to you? Because you know what that means. Why is it not important to the world? Are you kidding? Israel? Israel? This big? Doesn't even show up on a map. And you're talking about people coming to Israel? They got more tourists than that in a year. Yes, but they don't have the more than that coming to live there. And they don't have those who can show their background from there. Further, be alert and be sober. You are equipped for it. You have been equipped for everything that's coming down the road, folks, on this. You have been set up for it. You have everything you have. You have the breastplate of faith and love. You have the helmet, the hope of salvation. You have everything that you need not to be confused by all this and to be looking forward to all the things that are coming. So be cautious and alert. No movements. Know what's going on. See who's moving where. And don't let your guard down for anything. Next, never be intoxicated with anything. That's, I kept looking at this word, be sober. And I could see that there were people saying self-controlled, self-controlled. It's not the word self-controlled. It's actually the word be sober. <laughs> it's actually the word avoid intoxication. Don't do wine. That's what it was saying to do. Don't get intoxicated. How many things can intoxicate you? Have you ever been intoxicated by a study? I know I have. I've been at the place where I was studying something. I got so intoxicated by it that I just couldn't stop studying it. I just kept digging and digging and digging until I could find the, the very meaning of it. I realized, I don't even know what day this is. What's the matter with me? What am I doing this for? You understand what I'm saying? I think I have been more and more concerned. I, I drank a lot. I did a lot of wrong substances. It, I, I'm, you, you pay for that all throughout your life. You, you follow where I'm coming from? You pay for that. It's costly. It's expensive. But from that, and I'm, I'm telling you what's on my heart, I am practically a teetotaler. I, I'm not, I don't like to take NyQuil. You, you follow I, I don't like to take those things because I have a problem, and I don't want to go there again. So I don't drink. I think I'm more and more puzzled all the time at the number of believers who are drinkers and becoming more so, as if this was a big deal for us. Kids, not long ago, it was so that you were not a drinker and a believer. You just didn't do it. You were a teetotaler. But now I'm concerned about the number of believers I, talk, I, I get to listen to that are saying things about they were a little drunk in that Bible study. I'm thinking, what? A little what? You say, well, but listen, the, the United States of America came into being from the pubs. Maybe it did. Maybe that's where people met. Maybe they did drink. But I know it also came from the churches where they were talking about freedom, we were talking about liberty, where they were talking about love and loyalty and honesty. Brothers and sisters, don't be intoxicated with anything. Don't get yourself to the point that you are numbed 
by it. And it doesn't matter to me whether that's a chemical substance or it's something you're doing, some hobby you got, or anything else. Just don't be intoxicated. All right. Let me go further. Shore up every weak area. Um, I, I've developed a whole other paper that I'm planning to present to you about shoring up every weak area. How many weak areas do you have in your life, your own personal life? Then how many weak areas do you find for your family, areas that your family's vulnerable, areas that your family could be? How many vulnerabilities do we have within this congregation? What, what could attack us? What could hurt us? I, I can know for sure that there are a number of things that we need to shore up and get taken care of and get ourselves firmly established in as a community of believers. Let me get a little more done here. Do your daytime work with full equipment, tools of faith, love, and hope. Listen to what he said here. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who drunk, who get drunk are drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So take the equipment that we have, be a daytime person, don't go to sleep, and do the work. Do the work. There are things that have to be done that we're letting slip, and we can't afford to let them slip. So do your daytime work. Then know your destiny and live it. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not made for the tribulation. We were not made for the tribulation, so quit living like we're afraid of the tribulation. Let us live as those who are in the daytime and know that we've got work to do, people who need to be saved, people who need to know Jesus Christ, and let's get about the work, all right? And then finally, build community, use your gift, live your purpose. I wrote down some things that I'd like to just share with you. Each year, I try to come up with something that I, I want to set as a theme for my life that year. And this year, I've chosen saving lives. Saving lives. Um, I've been taking civil or um, first aid courses and a number of courses. So I want to know how to save a life. I want to know how to, if someone is injured, how to take care of them. Biggest problem in America, as far as deaths are concerned, is bleeding out is bleeding out, not being able to get the blood stopped. And that's how more people die than any other thing in America uh, as far as accidents and that sort of thing are concerned. So uh, I'm, I'm concerned about how to save lives. Let me just go with this. This year, um, men's prayer breakfast. They're going to need help. We're going to need guys to set up, take down, guys to help with breakfast, guys to help with things. So we're going to need help with men's, men's prayer breakfast, men's breakfast, should say. We need help with the missions team. Um, there are two guys on the missions team right now. And I know there are other people more than that that are interested in the missions team. So please get engaged with that. Summer fellowship is coming up. We need people to help us out. We started this out, uh, Al and I kind of uh, by the seat of our pants trying to figure out what we can do here, what we can do here. We need people who can start, start figuring out. Now we've had a few, a few practice sessions at this thing. Let's, let's determine how we can make this a very, very wonderful community fellowship together, right? So we need people for that. Property deacons are definitely in need of help. We need some more property deacons, and we'll talk about that uh, yet another time when I come to that paper. This year, I would like to have a Passover Seder, but I'm not good at doing Passover Seders. Uh, you won't eat the food that I cook, I promise. 
But here's the deal. If we can have somebody who is willing to coordinate and others who are willing to cook the meals, others who are willing to set up the decorations, others who are willing to set up that, we can have a great Passover Seder, April 6th. And there's a lot of events we'd like to cover before we get to April 6th. But there are many things that we can do there, guys, that will help us build community together. That's what we want to do. People who work together will stick together. People who work together learn to love each other. And that's every age. You don't, don't say, I can't do that because I'm, I'm young. I'm too young for it. No, you're not too young to help out. You're not too young to help with all kinds of things. I've got other things to share with you, but I'll do that at the, the paper time. Here's a concern to me in saving lives. And if you're a safety team member, uh, just listen to this. I think I've talked to a few of you about it. Here's a concern to me. Where does this, uh, if we're in a meeting like this, where do we go if there's a fire that breaks out? That's, I don't want us to have necessarily fire drills <laughs> each Sunday to say, okay, this is what you do. But do we have a plan for that? What would you do in case of an active shooter? How would we get out of here? How would we take care of things? What would we do if a tornado was coming? Where do we go? What are we supposed to do with all our people here? What's the safest thing for us? Uh, I know safety team is working on a number of things. And I'm, I tell you, one of the most active teams we have in a church right now is the safety team. I, I really have great appreciation for the, the people who are on that safety team. Thank you very much for your good work on that. But where, where, do we, uh, where do we find all the fire extinguishers? I went through with the uh, Trail Life boys, and I realized the fire extinguishers are not marked. I don't know where they are. Do you, do you see the fire extinguisher in this room? No, you won't, because it's not in this room. Uh, it's through that door right there. There's one back there, and there's one back around there in the corner back there. But you, you wouldn't, if you don't know where it is, here's what I'd like to suggest Everybody in the church should know where the fire, fire um, extinguishers are. Everybody should know where they are so that anybody could get it at any time. Do we have a stretcher? Where's the AED unit kept? In case we need the AED unit, where is it kept? Well, soon it's going to be in a different location where it's kept now because it's not accessible by everybody right now. It's in the workroom. We want to make it where it's accessible. Where do you find the first aid kits? There are a number of things that I'm thinking of and saving lives of what we, what we need to think about and think about as a community together. Not just as individuals who happen to come into the same room on a Sunday and then occasionally meet each other throughout the week. How do we build community with each other? All right. Well, thank you. You've been gracious to let me speak with you this, this long of your time. God is good to us, kids. There's much for us to be working with. We've got a whole lot to do. We are coming down to the end days. We are coming down to the last days. There cannot be a doubt about that. We want to be the kind of people who live positively getting to that, not defensively, but actually offensively, where we're on offense helping people, saving lives, getting people to know who Jesus Christ is, getting people away from the fears, getting people to accept truth and understand reality, bringing some reality to our culture. That's who we are, people. That's who we are. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ wanted with us. Well, guys, it's a new year. Uh, for many of us, that doesn't mean a thing. It, it, just the turning over of another uh, 
and day to do something glorious for God. But here's what you can do. You know what your calling is. You know what your blessing is. You know what a blessing you can be to other people. So we call on each other to comfort each other, build each other up, and let's be about the business. We've got a great business to do. Let's build a great community that reveals who Jesus Christ really is. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for loving us and caring for us the way you do. Grant to us that we might have our eyes open to be about the business you've called us to. For the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. Be dismissed in peace. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.